0: Urs Bolt has become a leading influencer in both wealth tech and RegTech by providing useful insights and advice to financial services firms around the world. We spoke about the changes in global digital advice, the impact of super apps, and who will win the race to become the world's number one wealth management provider. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're here for another episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I'm bringing you new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation in our industry. I run a consulting and research firm called Ezra Group, and we help broker-dealers, banks, asset managers, and RIAs make better technology decisions. And I'd like to remind you to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes. Are you ready for this episode? Well, it's starting right now. Welcome to this episode of Wealth Management Today, and I'm happy to announce my guest today is Ors Bolt, uh, Independent Wealth Tech Advisor. Hey, Ors.
1: Hi, Craig. Good to hear you.
0: Good to hear you as well. Thanks for being here. And, you know, you just said that I should introduce you as an Independent Wealth Tech Advisor, but I'm going to go a little further. You're a Wealth Tech and Blockchain Advisor. You're a speaker, a panelist, and a moderator. You're a startup coach and a mentor. And you're a global top fifty influencer social media.
1: Yeah, that's what uh, what um, I just learned from Onalitica and other folks (laughs) I've heard. And I recently, I mean, for about the last twelve months, I really realized the value I can bring to the community uh, in the wealth space because that's where I have um, some many years experience, and I believe that's something which, out of Switzerland, where I am from, and uh, I believe that's something which people always want to learn about, especially going to the east. Uh, and I was in China many times. So this is this is my focus uh, in the in the section, in the mm-hmm. cross section between technology and, and wealth management practice, but also going beyond, as I will probably explain during the podcast.
0: Right. Absolutely. And uh, you know, we've never met, so this is our we're meeting virtually. Now, we've interacted a lot online. Lots of social media influ- cross influencing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes, that's, so that's. I'm happy that's, to have this. The amazing thing of Twitter because you get to know people, and after a while, you get a sense of uh, of each other. And mm-hmm. of course, you, you don't know everything, but, but it becomes right. a pattern. You know, that's what I feel. And I've won a lot of friends via Twitter more than actually via in the last few years, at least more than 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 on LinkedIn.
0: Oh yeah, well, there's, it's more um, conversational on Twitter, where LinkedIn's more, more business like, more, is shorter. So our our topic today, I'm really interested, is uh, we're we're going to talk about wealth tech platforms of the world. And you know, it's when you when you suggested that topic, I I jump right on it because one of the things I like to say uh, when I introduce the podcast is it's the world of wealth tech. So wealth tech platforms of the world is a perfect topic for this podcast. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I believe. I have quite a good knowledge. Let's say you definitely know the market in the U S much better because, but because I'm listening um, to many people and meeting them. I also know from when I was at UBS, I already learned about the models, but I'm looking more towards the East and I think bringing the three major uh, time zones together, could be quite uh, helpful for people who want to look beyond maybe the domestic U.S. market or or just Europe, and and people who want to learn more about what's
0: going on in Asia. Yeah. So let's start in Europe. So let's talk about wealth tech in Europe. But what's your what's your opinion in general about wealth tech platforms in Europe?
1: Yeah. I mean, in general, obviously, wealth tech is following more uh, the footpath of fintech. Uh, fintech, obviously. Uh, started with let's say transactional uh, payments, uh, cross-border payments, simple, basic banking functions. When it comes to wealth tech, and there there is a, a wide range of different um, applications along this. Um, you can come from the investment side. You can serve the incumbent client base, and you can also serve, uh, let's say, the lower end of it, which comes along fintech, which we see now with the big challenger banks. They're offering now uh, simple investment solutions with funds and other things. And and it's following the footpath. And the question, what's now going on with platformification? How, where will the dynamics play? So what will shape the market in this sense? And I believe that platformification will happen. But it can be directed and being influenced by different drivers. So if you, in Europe, um, obviously, RoboAdvisory uh, started already 2011, 12. We've not in the UK. We have some other platforms, but usually all these platforms, obviously, they need to win in a, in a big enough customer base. And the ones which we know from the States, Betterment, some others, they already integrated now into bigger uh, asset bases. Uh, which obviously shows uh, they need scale, they need a scalable uh, user and asset base. And that's what we still uh, miss in, in Europe. And some of them went already this path, most of them in Switzerland, where we have the biggest, uh, not to forget, we still have the biggest private wealth, uh, accumulated wealth in Switzerland across the whole globe. Like 25% of private wealth <laughs> is actually casted and booked in Switzerland this is massive for a country of just eight and a half million people. And there are many reasons for this, which we don't want to touch today. Uh, But the fact is that uh, most wealth techs, especially in Switzerland, they went the route to B2C to serve incumbents or um, platforms which need the capability to digitalize wealth management, Mm. which includes easier onboarding, which includes to uh, automate the process, The investment process, first risk profiling, investment process, reporting, et cetera. And that works fairly well. But all of those, um, and and there are some others like Scalable in Germany, they grow much faster, but they're only very few, which you can say they seem to be on a good path. It's very tough, tough business.
0: So let's go back a second. So you, you mentioned a word which I think I understand, but I wanted to get your definition. Uh, what do you mean by platformification?
1: So it means that you bring together uh, different capabilities, um, means services. It can go along the life cycle of a client. You you need to do the onboarding. Obviously, you need to KYC. You need to do AML checks, etc. You do the risk profiling, etc. And and these today's with the common you have it all scattered in different tools and applications. So, if you want to really serve someone from a purely digital point of view with a smartphone app, you need to integrate it all, and it needs to go all hand in hand and that 's not how the incumbents the traditional players are mm. set up right they They have literally manual interfaces, and I know that from the banks i 've worked for how it is some mm. are better, some are less and and it 's still shocking how this industry is working Hmm. and obviously not investing into proper work automation, which would also make lives of the people and employees easier rather than just cost cutting by outsourcing and
0: handing over processes to other jurisdictions where they might be Hmm. cheaper. Do you want to talk about a few of the wealth tech platforms that you think have succeeded in this area?
1: um yeah so far i would say it's difficult to say because most of them are privately owned right so it's not easy to to know about the figures but i guess there are some which are not so loud now which are kind of B2, b2b working together with banks
0: right that's uh, the ones i'm talking about the b2b ones
1: Yeah, not uh, the big the big platforms in in, in europe to be honest i I'm just aware of scalable. I know Nutmeg, I know some others, but they still struggle with profitability, right? So I believe where it really starts changing is in the East. So you see the big um, platforms from uh, Alibaba, Tencent, via WeChat. You have Ping An with LuFax, which is the biggest wealth tech in the world, to say, which focused very early to Mm offer service. That's China, but then just last week, early last week, we heard that Crab uh, bought uh, a wealth tech provider or robo-advisor, which, which is a term I don't really like because there's still people behind, right? There's nothing going just by its own. But the fact is that uh, the platforms in the East, are now expanding their service range. So when you look at Grab at their super app, what they already offer today, and compare that with Uber... Uber is really at the very early point.
0: You're talking about Grab. You said Grab, right? The Grab app.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Grab is obviously where you can uh, uh, order uh, a cab like like Uber. So they bought some Uber business also in Asia. And they're out of Singapore. Right. Um, and and Grab, is,
0: yeah, so Grab is the number one ride-hailing app in Southeast Asia. Exactly,
1: yeah, yeah. So they have millions, about 100 million users on the platform. Now, now that makes obviously most private bankers laugh about the volume they might bring in terms of single uh, investor, right? But if you start thinking beyond what's going on in five, ten years, then this wealth accumulation continues and it goes further down to the middle class, then suddenly these people are very much used to just use the apps and have total different communication channels. That makes me then wonder how as a traditional player, do you actually want to serve these kinds, these markets? Right? So, so, and then that's the platform part of it. And it's already clear that you integrate such services by, um, buying the capability either by buying a whole firm or you, you build the teams by themselves. Mm-hmm. Usually, in China, it is they build it by themselves, right? They might have some experts, they do it themselves. Scrap decided to buy into an existing service provider, WealthTech platform. And I think in, the, in, in, in Europe, we're still lagging on that sense. In a way, some projects like the one that UBS, I think it was called Smart Wealth or something, in the UK was closed down or was sold. The one in the States as well, I believe by UBS, and some others um,
0: also had quite a difficulty. So
1: a big challenge is not the technology, I believe, it's also the culture.
0: Why do you say that? What, what is different about... So if you look at... How are you dividing up the cultures of the world? Are you saying Europe is one culture and Asia is another culture? Or are you yeah, subdividing it's a, to smaller... Digital
1: transformation, means? right? That's a challenge. Digital transformation is, is much more a cultural challenge. And I believe that in the East... Far East, whole Asia included, some and, and many bigger emerging markets, they just have an easier life with new tech because they don't know what we had all before. They just recently, they just grew up with, with phones, smartphones, and it's just the most normal thing for them. And and I mean, even, even programmers, developers in China, some, they just do it on their smartphones. I don't know how you can do it, but it, mm. it, it wouldn't be handy for me but right. people can work in, in, in ways which, which we are not which we the, the two of us didn't grow up with, right? Mm-hmm. I still like a keyboard in front of me, which I can use my ten finger system mm-hmm. so so this, they have it easier to just scale also because of the socioeconomic drivers, because of the huge markets and because of the high growth rate of the economy. They just grow into it. whereas in the Western world, in the rich countries we are more on a conservative, literally, basis. We defend what we earned and, and we, we basically build and continue on a, on a very big asset base already, which will grow even more in the coming decades. And that's, that's a challenge. And the challenge is obviously also that we already have several generations which we served in a one-to-one relationship in wealth management private banking.
0: And now the, the question is, how
1: do you integrate your digital capabilities to serve your clients better? So mean, standard services are faultless. You don't really um, need people for this. So you automate that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have more and more um, expectations in terms of different values your clients might have uh, cross-generational That makes it very difficult. So the answer from a tech perspective would be Okay, we just build a new use case around, let's say, the people over 60 and we serve them very specific with an app on this and offer some products around it. That's probably Mm -hmm. going to happen, too. But then in the same family, we have the youngsters, which are maybe early 20s, mid 20s and have a total different worldview. Which might collide with what we believe is best for us and how we uh, grew rich when you are more than 60, and then you so, have. Let me jump in the- a
0: second, Boris. Um, so you, you you mentioned digital transformation is a cultural challenge. Yes. You touched a little bit on that. So can you talk about the differences? Now, obviously, we we understand that in uh, other countries that were lagging economically, that was or lagging technologically for many decades, that, that turns into an advantage for them since they can leapfrog over the old tech right to the new tech when it's available. Like in Africa, they're all, they leap right to mobile phones. They skipped all the crap in between. Uh, so do, do you see that as being an advantage and how will that shake out when it comes to digital wealth? Uh, uh,
1: yeah, that's, that's an advantage in one way, but what I also see when traveling to many countries, in the, especially in Asia, but there was also in Nigeria last year, um, is that they lack the depth and the, the breadth of the service, the capabilities, and also the traditions, how to manage wealth, you know, which, which has a long-term view. So I see that's why there's probably a huge need also for established private banks and bankers which can, you know, it's their profession. That's why obviously private banks out of Switzerland in in Asia are very successful offering such services because there are many aspects playing into it. But we always talk about the upper 1% of wealth. And what i really fascinated and interested in is to see how do you actually serve the growing middle class, which, which are not even touched because the incumbents with their processes, they can simply not serve them profitably. And that's, I think, where the whole worlds will collide, right? They will come together. Platforms will meet the traditional way of doing private banking. I think that's something which will be part of our conversations for the next five to 10 years at least.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Another thing you mentioned, uh, was Europe is lagging. So do you think Europe uh, that Europe being lagging is a temporary or is it something that they will uh, eventually catch up or they will never catch up and then U S and Asian firms will come in and take over the, the wealth business. additional
1: I mean, they're lacking in a way from the tech platforms, because don't don't forget we don't have an Amazon here. We had some uh, we had some players out of Sweden which became then uh, US platforms. Like I think it was Skype, right? And it was uh, something else. And we have some in the fintech space, like Transferwise. So we have some unicorns, some uh, more than a billion dollar worth of um, uh, fintechs. And in the wealth tech space, I I don't really see that. So I I think it will be, it it will merge in a way. So I think we need Mm -hmm. to understand that platforms are the new way of doing things and sharing um, resources, risks, and maybe do the mundane tasks via shared platforms use them as a service and not in the typical sense, which many already do like business process outsourcing. So that's, I'm talking from the private bank side. And I think that might then lead to um, more platform based also sharing intelligence maybe. And and you also know that in Europe, it's also more difficult in terms of data privacy. So um, there's much more challenging, which is uh, a trend across the world but europe was first with a more stringent data privacy law the general data protection uh, regulation gdpr code, and i think that that also needs to be considered but i think in the in the in the space in wealth management um, i mean this is anyway a a huge part of being the trusted Mm. advisor built on security security data
0: We're just taking a quick break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundations. Uh, The Invest in Others Foundation is a charity that helps advisors uh, raise money for their charities, individual charities for different advisors. Uh, They uh, allow you to nominate and you can sponsor different philanthropies. Uh, You can volunteer. They have a number of different uh, grant programs. One of them is called Grants for Good provides opportunities for advisors to secure funding for specific programs or projects on behalf of nonprofits that they support. Uh, I do a lot of uh, help work with uh, Invest in Others and I help judge some of these uh, advisors and it's really tough. I tell you, they'll give me 10 different advisors of all kinds of charities and doing all kinds of fantastic work. Uh, There's a a great advisor, uh, Mike Mayernick, who won the Global Impact Award. He did this uh, through his charity uh, work in uganda uh, where they adopted their daughter 10 years ago and mike's charity is called Love one international Uh, again this is a charity that um, invest in others uh, gave money to so mike's charity provides medical care food distribution tuition and training for children in uganda uh, in this community Uh, does some really good work uh, really saving people's lives so if you're looking for somewhere to uh, invest some charitable donations, I recommend the Invest in Others Foundation, investinothers.org. So with with the with the, uh, the way the bigger firms are we've been hearing for many many years how the bigger tech players all all US based and and the Asian based are getting into fintech or getting into wealth. And you you mentioned the Chinese apps uh, who all have wealth components and some of them are the biggest money market funds in the world. They're these the Chinese super apps. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we've, we've seen Amazon you know, slowly getting into finance and lending and, and checking uh, and, you know, uh, Apple is doing the same. So do you see those is Europe going to be squeezed from both sides where us tech players are coming in from the the West and Asian tech players are coming from the East and they're going to just consume and, you know, divide up Europe.
1: Um am not so sure about that the American players will take over. I think they will have, they will come more from the side of the big asset management houses like BlackRock, Vanguard, etc., where they already have the capabilities. That might be one angle. On the other hand, I believe that the traditional European private banks uh, and of course, especially the Swiss ones, they will still play their role, very important role on the ultra high net earth, upper high net earth individual level. I think if you want to sustainably grow, you need to have strategies which will also look at the affluent or the upper affluent, high, lower high net earth individual space. And I think there needs to be, um, um, need to be considerations. How do you want to collaborate with these up and coming platforms? now if these platforms you know if they are already there with a huge asset base you might want to become an app on their platforms right that's what happens on wechat and and on on the apps in, in in asia especially in china and i believe that the way to go will be that the private banks and wealth manager has to have to think about how can they integrate into those platforms so if amazon would decide. To go into the space, which I cannot really um, imagine right now. I think they go more towards the merchants, etc, and offer them funding, etc., with the help of Goldman Sachs, which uh, became public a few couple of weeks ago. But let's assume that, then I would personally think about how can I be part, and what would be my value proposition on such a platform? And that way of thinking is quite, let's say, very rare. I don't really hear many people within banks who really talk about this. I think even, even UBS as the biggest, or maybe now the second biggest, uh, private wealth manager after J.P. Morgan, or whoever it is, or Citigroup. Um, I think they they cannot be a platform by themselves. They have to think about how do you collaborate with those where they meet their uh, prospective new clients.
0: So do you think that the, do you think there's still an opportunity for the private, the large private wealth managers? So you mentioned the high net worth, ultra high net worth space, Uh, but you you talked about a new segment, the upper affluent space. So you're you're subdividing client segments where it used to be mass affluent, then it goes to high net worth. You're subdividing a little more in between the mass affluent and the high net worth. And, everyone seems to yeah, be moving up there right so that we have the, the robo firms are looking to move up as well and then the larger private banks are looking to move down who will win in that area
1: uh, that really depends how how you can play the cost i mean if you are able to automate and digitalize the processes and combine that with your strengths so coming from an incumbent side means obviously you have the whole experience the knowledge tradition etc the brand value not to forget to bring in you can definitely play a bigger role in this if you come more from the tech side and then you look at the east it seems like they go into spaces where no one in europe would even dare to go because i think that the the european uh, whatever level of wealth he is he, he wouldn't trust that much to go on such platforms, right? So it would be always a side play. I think it will come together. I could even imagine that Big techs would possibly buy into an established brand, which is well established in the high net worth individual and possibly even in the ultra high net worth space. I mean, Goldman Sachs plays such an interesting um, strategy in a way because their brand is very strong, right? And people trust. The Goldman sure. brand, and they mm-hmm. go all across the different areas and collaborate now with tech and and other firms. I mean that, and then you look at the capitalization of the incumbent banks. You can imagine who has the upper hand when it comes to takeover talks. That's not going to happen that mm-hmm. quickly because no one really from the tech side wants to get into this compliance and regulatory mess, which I can fully sure. understand
0: coming Isn't from. The- that- that's that's a, a constant battle between the the incumbents who have distribution and the startups that have innovation, and the mm-hmm. innovators have to build distribution before the startups can copy their innovation. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly so if, the point. So, do you see the technology side coming from the east, uh, being a winner, but, or or will they just stay in the east?
1: Yeah, that's that's the big question mark, which is hard to say right now, but. I would imagine from the fintech side, where scale, like what WeBank does in, uh, in from China, where they can onboard up to one million clients or even more per day. We talk about the simple onboarding, of course, not the full KYC like you would have it in the wealth mansion. But when you think about the scale and how they operate at literally zero marginal cost per transaction, then then you can imagine they will enter the markets and merchants who have to look at the margin they will i would i mean i would try to benefit from it but when it comes to wealth there is much more trust needed mm. the question is how will for instance alibaba with and financial with the cloud offering will will they play a role here i mean in some ways they already work together um, with uh, western banks mm. but more from an artificial intelligence part of you because they also did some smart takeovers and 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 try to uh, leverage their capabilities but um on the other hand when it comes to the more complex side of wealth management i mean you cannot compare these offerings on these big platforms in the east with what we offer on a uh, credits with ubs julius Baer, Pic big delon barodier platform
0: right? well why not why can't you compare the consumers are comparing are wouldn't they
1: it's the, the, the. I mean, first of all, you have the regulation. So you need to be a professional investor, right? To invest into some more alternative investments uh, or let's say things which have structured uh, product uh, criteria, etc. So it's, it's not so easy to go in. You have a lot of obstacles and, and you cannot just expand that range into new client segments, right? Even if you want to do so. Uh, so there are many factors playing into this. I could imagine that because of the different cycle dynamics of emerging markets growing so fast, there will there will be new products coming. And usually how we play that was you bring wholesale concepts and make them retail capable, right? So like transfer wise for me is like almost like the continuous linked settlement approach you have between mm-hmm. investment banks when they, when they started to um, have a central clearing house for foreign currency transactions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I so you mentioned TransferWise a couple of times. So I use TransferWise quite a bit. Uh, and actually I, I, there aren't that many options. So I, I, one of my daughters is going to school in London. So I have to regularly every month transfer her, uh, mm-hmm. do a, a, a transfer of uh, dollars to pounds. And I, I bounce back and forth between TransferWise and OFX, mm-hmm. which is another a similar startup. Um, and I just look for which one has the best rate. And then there's sometimes one's a dollar. It's usually only a dollar or so difference, but I'll just pick that one because it's easier just to click and, and go. Uh, although I do like the trans- TransferWise's user interface is better, but you know that just shows how little that means. I'll, for a dollar, I'll use the other service.
1: Yes. And that's what the expectations of the younger generations going forward, right? They're used to this to pick and choose the services if that app doesn't work, kill it next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we it younger replace- people
0: Let me speak for the younger people here that we feel that way yes we'll we'll just kill it and just jump on to the next one, which I do all the time uh- exactly
1: <laughs> and I think that that will where the worlds will come together, so I think the ones will win which can automate all these processes which often do they believe how can it take weeks to onboard a client in wealth management when it actually is a standard process. And if you have the information at hand, you you, you just have to digitalize it properly, you know, and it it still takes so long. So this is something Hmm. which has to change and probably will change because you also have the regulation Via uh, the Financial Action Task Force, you know we have common reporting standards, uh, automated exchange of information, etc. A lot is driven out of the US and and literally pushed over the rest of the world. But it should also help to standardize a lot of processes, hopefully. And then the other big trend is obviously open banking, which will then help, hopefully, to um, Automate all these um, standard banking processes, which you just mentioned, because a cross-border transfer, it should be really that easy, or it should be even easier than it works with with wise But that should be just part of the foundation of banking, right? And on, the, on top of that, you would you offer then the wealth advisory. You can offer products based on that, and right. you can also start creating value proposition along around lifestyles, you know, right. like gig workers, etc.,
0: executives. But do you see that these, you know, so transfer-wise and OFX, they're very, um, a very small portion of the industry. They only do one thing, which is transfers. So yes. do you see them moving into wealth or do you see them being bought by other wealth firms as to be an extra service for their clients?
1: It's a good question. I, I believe so far they really try to stick to the uh, global cross-border payments market, which is by itself huge. There are hundreds of billions of dollars transferred between countries. You know, I don't know the exact figure between Mexico and, and the United States, but these are huge figures. And obviously the banks earn a lot of money with that. So if, let's say, TransferWise is the leader or one of the leaders... Uh, they also have Western Union as competitors, etc. I think that, that is one of the recipes, and they also work together with banks. It's like a bit like Ripple uh, with their blockchain protocol that Transfly also collaborates with banks to offer them their process and service to reduce their transaction costs. So I think they will continue on that, but others like Revolut and 26. And and especially the ones from the East, they obviously all go the way to of a super app.
0: Super app. That's what we hear about, super app. When will we you get know. super apps? Yeah, it's already here. You have it. I mean, if you look
1: at your phone, uh, you look at... Uh, I just don't have it with me, but you, you go into WeChat, you can open... I mean, I can't see all the apps available because I'm not Chinese, but right. the international version already has like... Several dozen of apps. Same with uh, with Alibaba or the Alipay app. So you actually access insurance, these simple savings. You know this money market fund you about and and you do. Um, then you have a piece which helps you as a tourist to um, to um, top up the wallet with your foreign card, which they introduced mm-hmm. at the end of last year, and it works as I noted um, in uh, in early December. So this is already reality and, and Crab crap has I don't know dozens of apps already on right. it. These people don't use a computer anymore like we just do right now. Right. They only know the smartphones.
0: Indeed, but how does how soon is that will that take on in in western countries or will we still oh, we're so used to Sorry?
1: I mean we have already the app stores. Mhm. And, I mean, literally in a way you can say Google Android is also a huge app store, right? I mean, the whole Google Play thing. But what they did is they built an app on Android and added apps into their universe. That's the interesting bit. Because most of the people in the China, they use Android, right? So you have, of course, iPhone and they have the same thing there too, but most yeah. of them use Android and now they're building their own version, Um for different reasons.
0: So you're saying we already have a super app. It's just our phone in general is itself a super app.
1: In a way it is, but it's not coming from one platform, right? right. So the WeChat is, is literally the platform built on an app and it, it, it allows um, collaborators and merchants and whoever financial services providers to be part of it.
0: So I, I read a lot of articles about super apps and a lot of the, it seems the sentiment is they'll never work in the U S or Europe. Steve, would you agree with that or you disagree?
1: I don't think whether it really uh, matters that much. It will probably come in a maybe different shape mm-hmm. because, because we have still so many different channels and different needs. Right. But it doesn't really matter as long as you offer value and a proper service, then you're going to use it.
0: Well, that's true. But the question is, where where are we going with wealth? And and will wealth take on different forms? Will wealth be splintered and fragmented into separate, small little areas? Like you'll have a bit it of your wealth here, be- a bit of your wealth there, or will it be concentrated in one?
1: No, it will be split, because you think about what's going on in the world. You have so many different... Um, I mean, when you think about the values, what people represent and how they go through the day and, and what, what is most about, most they care about, then you already see the fragmentation. you know so you have a lot to, a lot of talk about climate change, climate justice. now if you if you're a poor person in some countries which don't really can afford to even think beyond the next week, then you probably don't have the same issue. Um, I, I mean I, I know Philippines very well. I mean, they don't really know this great right? So it's for them, it's different. We have to accept that not everyone has the same worldview. And in the West, we have often the decadency to believe that everyone should think this way, but that's not the case. So, so, a lot, and then you have different lifestyles coming in and all mm-hmm. to serve all this out of one platform, out of one company, in my view, is far too complex. So I think the fragmentation and the sub-segmentation will will continue and it will become much more complex and because of the, the bigger complexity we'll see platforms coming which do some services and offer that to many and because of the complexity going on on the socioeconomic part etc and different intergenerational challenges you see more and more boutiques coming up uh, independent advisors um, serving a very specific uh, need and group of people. And that will probably help the intermediary business to actually uh, be even bigger than it is today, but probably with many different players in it. Because today it's more like in the States, brokers, broker-dealers, right? In here it's more like uh, former private banks which became independent, but still have the, the assets custody with a bank. I mean, that's the commonality you have in the States too. But you cannot really serve all the different client needs out of one person. Mm-hmm. So, so you have in- to focus what is your value proposition and who do you want to actually serve?
0: Right. So you're, you're pessimistic that super apps will take off in, in the U.S. and in they Europe. They
1: will because of that. They will because super apps can serve very specific needs. Right. So they they focus on very specific for um, um, a client persona. They have different needs than, let's say, a, a freelance person has a different need uh, than someone who is an executive or someone who is already um, a wealthy serial entrepreneur. And, and these people have different needs. Some of them want to take they want to trade. They want to decide themselves. Others are happy to hand it over and have it run. And I mean, when I look at even myself, I'm not a rich person. Okay. Compared to someone in emerging market I'm probably rich, but in Switzerland, then we all rich, right? But I have, I don't know, like two dozens of apps and have at least four different apps where I can access part of my wealth, part of my pension money, which I reinvested is it went all total digitally with a very nice, um, um, Wealth Tech here in Switzerland, which focuses only on voluntary um, pension investments, right? Which is tax deductible. And and and, and others have their own app. So it's 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 but they're all coming from one specific provider. Mm -hmm. What could happen in the future is that for instance the UBS with a huge client base serving across the world that they might say let's do a super app approach because it comes in a similar flavor usability but we can very dedicated communicate with target groups which they otherwise couldn't and their advantage is they have actually the data about their clients if you mix that together with big data coming maybe from google then you can imagine what can happen the, the, the big thing in, in China is that WeChat Pay and Alipay, they dominate the payments market. They know exactly what's going on. Right. And you see that now with the coronavirus. It's interesting what they can track, right?
0: Yes. <laughs> they, they know more than the government knows.
1: And in the West, it's Google, literally, because mm-hmm. all the searches go via Google. And they have Baidu in China. But that that's going to happen. So it's a big data play that... Big data should help to serve the needs and, and to be hyper-personalized. And for this hyper-personalization, uh, you know, the super app approach could be one of the options, how to play it.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll, we will see. So one thing I'm seeing a lot and the one, one um, theory I'm working on is that the, in the U.S. at least, app-based wealth platforms will soon take over. Because this is mm-hmm. the sheer number of users they have. Acorns is already over 5 million users. Stash is 4 million users. Moneyline has got 4 million users. They're all offering wealth uh, products uh, as, as well as checking accounts, as well as lending. And mm-hmm. you know that's 15 million users, 20 million users, uh, clients, just in a couple apps. And that's more than most banks have, even the biggest yes. banks. So do you see that also happening in Europe?
1: Absolutely. I, I believe it will. Uh, but we shouldn't forget the last week, uh, two weeks ago, we did a workshop. We redefined wealth management, which goes beyond then just the financial needs and the investment needs, right? So, so again, it should include the values. It, it should in, then automatically lead what is now, what what are my ESG criteria, etc. You know, like environmental, sustainability, governance, it's, these aspects. And what are these? I think you will need to go beyond the current definition of wealth to really holistically and be become and, and remain the trusted advisor of your clients and especially of the younger generation, right? So that that will that will also require a new approach, which I believe will then end up uh, ecosystems which will then be very fluid and an ecosystem is not a platform you can't control it anymore but i think these incumbents will have to learn to become more agile and 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 more client driven and offer their advisors these capabilities and also in a way freedom that they can actually go into these communities and and be the trusted advisor now it's a question of How as a private bank wealth manager do you position yourself? I think that's the, you need to make some strategic homework and you need to think further along the timeline Mm -hmm. so that you are ready when these things come and not be totally taken by surprise, right?
0: Or else they'll be out of business.
1: Yes, but as we see, wealth is not a fast moving business. It's a rather Mm -hmm. slow moving business. But in 10, 20 years, if you want to still have access to the growing asset base in Asia, I don't think you can just rely on the ultra-wealthy, even though there, might, there will be more.
0: Uh, and,
1: and the wealth might be inflated too, but nonetheless, there will be more. Mm-hmm. It, it won't be enough for everyone.
0: Right. There aren't enough ultra-wealthy people to, serve all, to, to, to be customers of all the, all the firms that want them.
1: Yes, exactly. That's, that's that's clearly what I see. Well, but the margin pressure is huge on that end. Hmm.
0: Urs, thank you so much. Uh, this has been very informative. I'm I really am glad we got the chance to talk, and, uh, and thank you for sharing your views with everyone. Thank you, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Urs Bolt. Just a couple of things I learned from this episode. I was really interested in what Urs had to say about... Um, Super apps, especially apps from Ping An, LuFax, Grab, of course, um, WeChat and Financial. Uh, He's got some great advice. Uh, He's uh, traveled to China a number of times, so he's got some on-the-ground research. So great to hear from him. Uh, Also from other places he's been to and how other countries are approaching uh, digital advice and digital wealth and how they're uh, they're taking advantage of, of how far behind they were in technology, but they've caught up. And they leapfrog all of us who are stuck in older technology, and we don't have all the legacy, they don't have all the legacy uh, tech to deal with. Uh, so going beyond the current definition of wealth to become a trusted advisor, something that Urs is promoting. And uh, one thing he mentioned when we were talking before the episode, which I don't think we got to, uh, was something I really liked when he said this, wealth tech is not fintech. All right? so wealth tech is a subsidiary of fintech or a subset, but it's not the same as fintech. And I really like the way you said that, and uh, I, I believe it. And you know, wealth tech is its own thing, and we're all into it. And I'm glad you listened. And uh, before I forget, make sure you uh, give us a five star review if you enjoyed this episode. Uh, five star review on iTunes. I greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next time.